Welcome to the Texans! And again, Watson escapes. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. Welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the great British Isles. I've only been completed Jacksonville every week as Houston goes to 2-6 and six for the first game back from the bye. It was a rookie's first start, a missed two-point conversion at the end, but the Texans kneel it out for their second win of the season. Joined this week by James from Texans Unfiltered. James, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? It's been a while. I mean, I felt like during the offseason we were talking every week, and then now you just you found everybody else to replace me. <laughs> well, we had John on. Uh, he did a great job. Uh, we've had, yeah, and we've had, uh, we've had a few people. So, yeah, it's been good. I mean, I think it's strange, right, because we're... Yeah, it's not been the easiest season watching. Oh and, no! Uh, but uh, I think stuff like this sometimes allows you to sort of. I would agree. Compartmentalize a bit, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been a tough old season. What do you think from your point of view as you go? Well, I don't think we ever thought we'd be two and six right now. But what's your kind of take on it so far? You know, p- part of me um, wants to you know buy in and hope that this offense can be enough to drag us to that potential eight seed if we expand the playoffs um you know i'm 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 the truest optimist um i always try to look at things from a positive light i think i think the houston media and the national media do uh, do enough to show you know how bad the team is and there isn't anybody that really tries to shed light or look at the positives of, of the team. And I think this season, it's been a lot harder to, to do. Um, you know, we, we talked, we did an offensive line uh, podcast, and, and we all felt pretty confident that this offensive line uh, with the five starters coming back was going to be better. And we couldn't have been more wrong. Um, I thought that David Johnson was going to be better. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong. So, um, you know, this defense, I mean, I, th- I think this defense is, is really the one thing that everybody knew was going to be bad. I just don't think anybody thought they would be this bad. Um, and this defense is really the, the issue with this team. You know, you could make an argument where, you know, we've won two or three more games that this defense wasn't so bad. Um, but, you know, at least we got rid of Bill O'Brien uh, and, and we're now able to move forward and, and find, you know, the potential – right higher uh, for Deshaun and this team. And, you know, I know a lot of people think it's a rebuild. I don't think it's a rebuild. I, I, I think that it's very similar, in my opinion, to the Frank Reich, to the Frank Reich um, Colts time. You know, when he took over, he took over a bad team. Um, but, you know, he was able to get to the playoffs. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it's a very similar situation to what the Colts did in 2017. Yeah, it's interesting because you saw that story come out and I, I don't always think Jason Lacanfora is always on the money uh, particularly Houston I think there's other kind of insiders as they like to call themselves um, are a bit more in tune with what's going on but it was I know they picked it up in the broadcast I actually missed it um, pre-game but he he wrote an article saying from you know quoting a couple of executives around the league saying that JJ's season it's a foregone conclusion that this will be his last year um, and he mentioned about, you know, and they picked up that quote and ran with it about, he, you know, effectively said he didn't want to be in a rebuild, which wasn't quite what he said. What do you what do you think of that? And how surprised were you about sort of the inactivity of the trade deadline? I think uh, JJ's gone. I do. I think I, yeah. think, I think JJ's gone. I think um, I think that he made his voice heard. And he understands that, um, you know, he, he, he's vying for a ring. That's what he wants. Um, and, you know, you can't blame him. And, you know, it, it's, it's sad to some fans, um, sad to some media. But at the end of the day, like, the most tradable asset you have is J.J. Watt. He's not going to be around when this team is contending uh, he's, you know, if he can finish the season strong and stay healthy, I think, you know, you can get a decent return for him. You're also going to free up 17 million, um, greatest Texan to ever play as of right now, but there's a guy in number four, that's probably going to go down as the best Texan to ever play. And, uh, I think it's time to move on and transition to, um, the face of the franchise, which it should be Deshaun. And, 
Um, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. To me, I don't like that we didn't trade him at the deadline this time. You know, if, if we were going to move him, we should have moved him now, saved the $9 million that we could have saved, uh, rolled that over to 2021, uh, also gotten a draft pick in next year's draft. But, you know, it is what it is. We don't have a GM in place to really make those moves. Uh, and I think really what happened is Jack Easterby just didn't want to be the center of attention of another bad trade. So instead of trading, he decided to hold steady to ensure that uh, none of the smoke goes his way and it all stays on Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I think you can't but help reflect. You should have just done it two years ago if you were going, yeah. to, if you were going to ship him. Um, and you, what you probably wanted to do, I think we've talked about it before, was get some goodwill from other teams and, and get them to buy in and pay for the, the, the fact that, or, the, or the thought process of, what if he becomes his his best or his previous best? You know, and obviously he's never he's he's been a long time away from that. And when you watch, I, I watched the video of the the hundred sacks compilation, and the the biggest thing I noticed probably around it was I don't think he's that much of a different player. Obviously, his first step burst off the line isn't what it is, and that's the but you know anybody can see that. But I think that what I picked up was just all the different pass rushers that are around him when he's making those plays. And how that's not really changed in the last few years, and only they've actually the quality of the talents got worse around them. And uh, and the biggest and the biggest sort of springing off the page is is, is merciless and and how he move he used to free, freely move around the line of scrimmage and he doesn't do that anymore. Right. Um. And it just yeah, it just feels like we just let this situation regress and regress and regress. Cause I remember in the twenty nineteen draft and that you know there was a big article about how. Cornell brought uh, Montez, Montez Sweat in, who ended up going to Washington. And, you know, you actually thought at that point, okay, everybody needed a tackle, but it probably would have been a sensible move to bring in an edge rusher at that point because it was a des- you know, it was going to be a desperate need. And now it's been a desperate need for two years. Um, and it's just not been it's just not been addressed. But it's a, it's a shame to kind of slowly peter out rather than getting ahead of the curve. But that's why we're two and six right now, isn't it, for, for all these off-field off field decisions. But, yeah, it was a strange one, I think, um, to see that. But I, I, another thing that I thought that carried on pre-trade deadline in the bye week and it showed its its head on the field in ways that they couldn't hide. Um, and I thought watching the coaching staff, and you only get to see the position coaches once a year, twice a year, and actually... It's oh, it's been clear for a while, but I think on Sunday you showed you know no more than sort of Jonathan Greenard getting out there that a guy who was more than capable to play at this level just haven't gotten a chance, and then you've got the opposite effect on the offensive line we just touched on there that guys that have got lots of talent with vested in but just aren't playing well and aren't communicating well because they just simply aren't coached well, and it makes you think what's the ceiling even if you took the base talent and you, okay you, you tidy up the salary cap. How much of an impact could actual decent NFL caliber coaching rather than guys like Mike Devlin, who's basically stolen a wage from this franchise for seven years? Yeah, I think I think it's a good point. I, I think it, just looking at the offensive line alone, right? We've seen we've seen multiple games where where they are where they are they can play well. We've seen multiple games where they can play as a unit, and we've seen multiple games where every player on that offensive line can play at a high level. Um, so if you look at that, it's, there's, you know, there's a history to base your opinion off of that. It can be, they can be better. And I think that that's really the biggest thing to take away from this is replace Devlin with an above average, you know, offensive line coach and the offensive line should be a lot better. It should be what we thought it was going to be entering the season. Look at the secondary, you know, same thing, right? We're going to need to get younger in the secondary. That that's going to take time. It's going to take uh, it's going to take some frustrations from fans. They're going to have to understand that we're going to have to get younger at cornerback because all our guys are just Vernon Hargraves doesn't deserve to be on a team. Um, you know, Philip Gaines doesn't deserve to be on the team. Keon Crossan looked as if he could play. Uh, you know, at least a little bit compared to what we've seen from the other guys. So um, you just look at the talent, and it's not really there. But when you think about a coach, you think about being able to get the most out of your guys. And all we need is an average to right below average defense to be a, a great team. The offense is fine. Uh, you know, we need to fix the running game in, in certain parts of that. But from a talent perspective on offense, we're good. Um, 
but yeah, coaching is such, it's such, there's not one league in, in major sports that is impacted by coaching more than the NFL. And you see it every year. And it's now time for us to get the right coach. Yeah, because you think the the coach. I, I I suppose it was never. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a well trodden theory that Watson covered up a lot in the last couple of years. But the the level of coaches and the and some of the comments and you know Devlin just sort of hung himself out to dry. I don't know if he did that intentionally or <laughs> or he just that's just who he is. But you know, I think he talked about oh, you know, tons of great technique. I wish I could teach that to the get you know teach that to the guys and. You kind of thought, well, you know, what have you been doing <laughs> for the last seven years? And then it's quite clear at times because it came together quite nicely last year, that line, but it's just completely regressed. And at the minute, you've got guys like Nick Martin and Zach Fulton who have taken so many steps back this season despite what they're being paid. And they're actually a hindrance to this offense in every way. I mean, the amount of times Nick Martin's been driven back into the running back or, you know, a pulling tight end or a, or a tackle or guard coming across the formation to seal the edge off. And he just simply gets in the way. You know, it's just, you know, basic funding. Before the ball's even got back to the line of scrimmage, you know, we've been impeded by our own by our own players. And you, you, want, you, know, you wonder, you know, if Nick Martin will be here next year on that contract or will have to try and rework it. And there's a dead cap bit to take there, but... You know, he's been terrible. Zach Fulton, okay, everybody criticised him in the off-season and I don't know if maybe some of that got in his head, I'm not sure, or he listened to what was out there, but he's not been good. Um, I don't think Howard had a great game on, on Sunday, but he's, he's, not been, he's not been the worst. He seemed like he'd turned a corner, but it just feels like there's such a, a level of play that we could exert at a higher level in terms of execution if we just had some good coaching in the building because you, you think now and you think of all the stuff and I bought into it myself, because it made logical sense. It's not a year for rookies. But I think, effectively, that was an omission of we can't coach them up in time rather than actually not being not being possible. Yeah. I, I also think, so, uh, you know, a little bit here, you know, I think looking at the offensive line and just looking at what a GM is, a good GM is going to have to do, you know, I know for a fact that Philly called about Nick Martin before the trade deadline um, and was offering a, a very, very low pick. Uh, I believe a six round pick for Nick Martin. Um, Nick Martin's playing at a six round pick level um, right now. So, you know, a good GM is going to come in and evaluate the talent and see if there are guys that are, are teams that are willing to pay for some of these guys. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Martin, Whitney Merciless, uh, you know, guys of like that are likely to be moved on from. Um, and I, I wouldn't blame them. Nick Martin has been a complete disappointment. I think when we talked last during the offseason, I said that um, Nick Martin surprised me last year, and he did. And then come back this year, and it's like he just forgot how to play again. Yeah, and, and there's an element of that, you know, on the player. But I think when there's certain guys, like you, know, you mentioned Marcellus as well, you know, when the, the coaching staff are desperate to talk, you know, you know, Nick Martin took some equipment away and put it in his gym in the offseason, you know, it feels like you're almost doing that to make a point because there's almost concerns that you know about their talent, just as pure, you know, pure athletes and and football players, and you know all these guys that were tough, smart, and dependable. A lot of them aren't very good at football, or certainly not as good as their contracts that they've been given, because they've you know exhibited leadership abilities off the field. But you know the, the leadership is only so good as if you're leading good talent, and those those guys are you know two prime candidates of the. Of the ghost of O'Brien that we're probably going to have to, you know, you know, negotiate for at least two years um, as the next person comes in. But it just feels like every week we're going to start seeing these themes just carry over and over because we're going to, you know, not be able to outplay some of the some of the legacies that that we've been left with. I think, but it was I I thought it just was you know there's some coaching coaching guys coaching on this staff at positions who blatantly aren't doing a very good job, and I think and. I think, you know, and I, I, I saw a tweet from uh, one of these draft analysts, yes, um, I think it was yesterday, and he said not enough people are talking about Lonnie Johnson as well. They drafted him in a corner, traded for Gary and Connolly, moved him to safety, and he's, you know, he's easily been given us up now four, four touchdowns by my count, just completely blown coverages this season. I, I don't put that all on him, but it was the fact that the secondary's a mess and DeAnton Lynn, who sort of, you know, so, you know, I know he tried to, he's going to cover for his guy, right? But he said, you know, Vernon Hargreaves having a good year, but 
you know, I, I think a guy like Kim's a young coach, obviously got a bit of pedigree with his dad being a head coach in the league, albeit a team that's not doing very well. But I can't see like a guy like him being here next year because they're just not playing well enough on the back end. And it's just basic errors. If you watch that play that, you know, the the, the Luton long ball, you know, whatever, Vernon Hargreaves and, and Lonnie, they're not on the same page. Hargreaves looks inside, Lonnie Johnson's not over. And, and Lonnie, I think... He's in danger of not being being on a team the way he's playing at the minute. And I don't think that's his fault, but it just feels like the coaching's just so bad, but yet the players aren't doing them, themselves much favours in the secondary as well. But as you said, a guy like Keen Crossing comes and just shooting endeavour and effort goes and makes a play on a third down and you know holds it holds four off the scoreboard for your team. So you think, you know, it, it runs both ways when you see a guy like that come on and make an impact, only because Hargreaves got hooked because he missed a really easy tackle. Yep. No, I agree. You know, with Lonnie specifically, you know, on that play alone, Lonnie was lined up on the right side. You know, he was shaded over where there were three wide receivers. Um, that's what a safety should do. Uh, he, he probably should have taken an earlier step uh, and react towards the ball. He should have kept his eyes uh, where uh, Luton was going to throw the ball. But, you know, Lonnie, Lonnie is a work in progress. Um, you know, the worst thing that can happen to Lonnie now is we put him back at secondary. Because or back at cornerback because he hasn't played cornerback. I think he played one snap at cornerback this game and was fine. But you know, outside of that, you know, we've made the transition to him to be a safety. So we're going to need a secondary coach to come in here and get the most out of Lonnie at the safety position. Um, it's interesting when you brought up Conley. It's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing works out. I, I doubt he plays this year, uh, and so you have to yeah, wonder what his market's going to be because we could get a steal uh, on a deal if we're able to keep Conley. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think Connolly flashed last year, and I know you, I know you guys are all quite high on him, and it would be great to see it. I think, but it, I, obviously, there's been some complication with that ankle surgery. He's just not going to make it back. I, I don't think there's, there's not been any sort of positivity around timescales or anything, which makes you think you're not going to see him. Um, but I think even you know, if you were going to move Lonnie into safety, you had to bring in another corner. Yep. You had to draft another corner. And I think, you know, John Reed is still, you know, he's got very few snaps. But guys like Keon Crossing, just play them. See if they've got, you know, gauge if they've got any upside for the remainder of the year. And if they do, you know, then they might play a rotational role. But, you know, Philip Gaines dropped two interceptions. You know, just unforgivable plays, just basically, you know, particularly the one where he tried to play Manic Murray when he tipped the ball, when Luton basically just threw it straight to him standing on the sideline. And you know, it's just guys like that shouldn't be in there. But and, and again, it's not their fault. But you know, the, and you don't want to keep. And I, I said that last week. We don't want to keep going back because every podcast, every week, you could just talk about all the mistakes in the off season, and it's hard not to um, at times. But yeah, you just think these guys shouldn't be out there. Um, but it, it's difficult. I think you know when you think about that because if you, you basically had four interceptions, three really clear one Adams on their second drive as well who. I think he's kind of shown for what he is. I know he's leading the team in tackles most weeks, but I'm not too convinced on on Terrell Adams. What do you think? Um, I like Terrell Adams. I, I think you know he he needs. We need to see a lot more from him. You know, his first game he looked really good. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind pairing him with with um, with with Zach Cunningham. Zach actually had his best game of the season, in my opinion, um, based on the All Twenty Two and, and yeah. broadcast. Yeah, he, did, yeah. he, he he played his best game. It was nice to see him kind of return back to form. Uh, you know, for some reason, you know, obviously this last week Dylan Cole didn't play because of COVID. But prior to that, it seems like Dylan Cole is not getting any snaps on defense. He's only playing special teams. Um, you know, we're going to have to trade BMAC. We can't afford to keep him around. So rolling with Tyrell, Dylan, and and Zach would likely be the um, the right path. I kind of missed the part of your question because I was hearing my eight-year-old throw a temper tantrum um, with my wife a, a second ago. So forgive me for not actually answering the question no i just say i just think in, in terms of the in terms of the secondary and the defense i think you you saw just the lack of lack of you know lack of talent that's the biggest thing but those guys you know it's not their fault yeah it's a lack um, of talent all around for sure and i think you know but at the same time the right coaches can get the most out of their players and um and, and put them in a position to succeed and i think that's really the biggest piece that we're lacking right now um is you know an, unex, an unexperienced defensive coordinator taking over an an untalented defensive roster and expected to go out there. Um, you know, if we had a seasoned veteran at DC, I think this might have been a little bit different. 
Uh, and it's not Weaver's fault, but at the same time, when you just look at the talent, it, it's not there. But then when you look at the effort and and things like that, you know, like you said, Keen Crossing, he came in and he made a play. He made a play in a time that it was needed. Uh, you know, even Vernon Hargraves at time has flashes um, of, of decency, but um, the roster on defense is not good. J.J. Watt isn't, you know, I, I think Matt Weston today put out a, a tweet with the six sacks that uh, J.J. had on Zach Mettenberger. And if you watch those those clips, on those all 22, you haven't seen that J.J. this year or last year. And, uh, you know, he was what we built our defense around, and we're not getting that anymore. So now it's time for a different philosophy, and we're going to have to upgrade the roster. Yeah, and... The problem is, I, I think I don't even think Watt's playing at the level he was playing at last year. I think he's taking agree. a dip below, um, which is strange because he said, you know, he, he feels the best he feels. So is that him lying to himself? Which seems strange because it didn't feel like, you know, he's, he's a guy that got the best that he could physically possibly get out of his body, and that created a toll and then created injuries and made him miss games. Um, but it it's clear that he's he's dropped a level again. I think. And you don't know how much of that is he knows what a good football team and a bad football team looks like. You know, we saw the 2016 season with DeAndre Hopkins basically threw the towel and you saw that with uh, DeAndre Johnson in his final year. You know, all of a sudden he came alive in the last two games uh, when he knew he was leaving or what have you. And, you know, players just, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, sometimes throw the towel on. So I don't know if that's an element of it. And he knows that this team isn't going anywhere and he's trying to do that. But I, I think as well, I think in the league for a defensive end, particularly a player like him, they're not calling much holding. And and on that final drive uh, where they basically sliced through as going up tempo, it was actually quite embarrassing, I thought. It just looked so obvious they were going to score. Um, there was a clear holding, which you actually heard it on the camera because I think you actually heard what shout it and it got picked up by one of the, the ref's microphones. Um, I think it was John Taylor. So basically held him back after he beat him. And I think that's part of frustration as well because the refs aren't calling much of that this year. Um, and I think that's probably hitting these numbers a lot because I think he's he's a guy who, you know, he's not, it's not always pure athleticism, but a lot of it will be, you know, three or four, five five moves will set up the one killer move and he'll go and make a, make a play. But when you're getting held back, I think that must sort of play into the, play into the can, total kind of myriad of issues where you're, you know, you're not going to, you're probably behind, you're not winning, they keep running the ball. You finally beat your man in the pass rush, and you get held back, and doesn't get flagged. I can imagine that all compiling to the point where it's probably affecting him negatively in a mental sense. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, I think with JJ, uh, you know, he says all the he's always been captain, say the right thing. Uh, you know, he's always been good at that. Uh, but this year, his play is not is really not um, is not backing up what he said all in the off season. You know, and. And now you can see that the the losses and everything else are really weighing on him. You can see it in the press conferences. You know, we haven't seen this even in the 2-14 and 14 season, uh, a J.J. Watt at the level that he's been at in the last pre- couple press conferences. Um, and, you know, you, you feel for the guy. Um, you obviously want him to be the best that he can be. And, you know, he will go down as one of the best defensive players to ever play the game. And that three-year span, the four-year span that he had, uh, there was nobody better, even Aaron Donald. You know, we, we tend to forget how good J.J. Watt really was during those four years. But since his injury, you know, he really hasn't played at an extremely high level. Last year, we thought we saw we, we saw some glimpses of the high level. This year, there's been no consistency at there's been there's been no consistency at all uh, regarding you know his performance and the way he plays. And uh, it's sad, but it, it, you know, Father Time is undefeated. If you trade him and B-Mac in the offseason, what do you what do you think best-case scenario can they get for those two guys? I think you'd probably get a fifth for B-Mac because his style of play isn't what the NFL is looking for anymore. Um, you know, I think a good GM could probably get – I think a good GM might be able to get a first-round pick for, for JJ, uh, but in all likelihood, I'd say a two or a three. Yeah, or a package of maybe a couple of picks. Players a player, and, yeah, perhaps. You know, yeah, exactly. You know. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something very similar to what we got for Clowney. Yeah, a third or a fourth, and maybe, or maybe maybe a third and a second plus, you know, I don't know, a corner or something like that. I don't, I yeah. don't know if it's if it's possible. Yeah, it's, it's probably quite a sobering thought when you think you're going to take probably the two top four or five players out in the field. Roby was missing any 
any sort of hearing on what that actually was. I, I screenshotted a tweet that I thought McLean put out, I thought was interesting. It was, you know, quite emphatic in who <laughs> the various facets of, of stakeholders that he'd let down. He tweeted it wasn't like that. I don't think Cronell seemed overly focused on it was an egregious thing. It certainly wasn't going to be the end of his career, and obviously, you know, we can't afford that from a talent point of view. But anything particular on that that you think is worthwhile touching on? Yeah, so there was some, uh, there was a, a little altercation in practice, and uh, a veteran safety uh, called Roby out for it, and, and Roby didn't like it. Um, you know, they felt he quit uh, during the Green Bay game, and um, that specific veteran player wanted to make sure that. He knew that that wasn't okay and wasn't going to be something we stand for. Uh, you know, in Cornell's comments on Monday, uh, what he say? He said yeah, he's a good corner. I wouldn't call him great. Um, yeah, a very very telling because Romeo's not one to um, to throw shade at people. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting because he's you know he's been around long enough and an older man, but he's still quite measured in what he says and. Uh, Maybe come on to the deluxe nuts because I think that's been a bit of a misplaced phrase. But yeah, it seems a yeah, it seemed a strange one, I think. But I mean, maybe it sends a message. And Roby's probably been our top three or four defensive player this year. Um, Prior to Green I mean, Bay, I, mean, I think you could make the argument he was our best defensive player. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah, yeah. I mean, he did a good job with all the guys he was asked to cover. Nobody really torched him, uh, really, in any yeah. of the games. Uh, not not repeatedly anyway. Obviously, guys are going to make plays at times. You could maybe argue he should have done better on the 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 uh, the last last minute catch for uh, Meiji Brown in Tennessee. Maybe could have just you know pushed him at the sideline a bit. Sure. Sort of uh, rep or or reminiscing uh, Marcus Gil- was it Marcus Gilchrist that never pushed out Brandon Cooks right in the last minute yep. of the Green Bay game twenty um, the New England game sorry twenty seventeen. It felt a bit like that. Um, just as you get a flashback as you talk about these things. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It seems, yeah, I mean, I suppose if, if it draws a line under it and it moves on, that's fine. It, it didn't feel like when you, and obviously, you know, their, their on-field persona is always going to be very different than the media, but I think there's always an element of you can kind of see through people to a degree. Um, it never felt like Roby was a guy that carried a lot of ego, but there you go. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's just the 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 the, uh, the drudge of getting beat every week is is piling up on these guys maybe and things like that are going to happen but that's part and parcel of a of a, a weekly uh weekly practice schedule isn't it? you're going to have disagreements and disputes on the, the field and it must have been reasonable for him to uh to miss a game or not even not even travel with the team yep so and i think as well i think it's it's, it's weird because I, I was thinking about the game on sunday and you know there was three to four interceptions we could have had and that you know there was the one the Gains his first one, uh, the drop by Connolly, uh, Chris Connolly. The ball flies up in the air, and then they go down and score a drive uh, to make it thirteen all. And then the miss, the miss PAT, which was which actually proved pretty influential by the end of it. Uh, but the second one was was Gaines, Gaines that went right into his hands. Um, we tried to blame Eric Murray um, at a time where they then they then went intact on more points as well. So if you'd even got another two of those picks then the game, I think, would have been very different. I think you would have stemmed a lot of Jake Luton's momentum. And I think, you know, from the blown coverage to that, there was an element of fortune, I think. And probably, I think, again, going back to that coaching point, for the second year in a row coming off the bye, I don't think the team looked all that prepared, um, albeit. But that being said, that was the... Do you know when the last time the Texans scored an opening drive with Deshaun under centre on their first drive, putting up seven? I believe it was 2018. The game was... Oh, you got me. I forgot the game. It was Denver, Jordan Thomas. Denver. Who's just signed for New England this week. Yeah, uh, another Bill, Bill O'Brien fuddle, uh, fumble. You know, we kept Kahale and cut Jordan Thomas. So, Well, he's been cut by Arizona, so I don't know. I don't know if... You know, I think there's still a player in there, but uh, we'll see what he does if he if he makes makes any inroads at New England. But yeah, that was the last time he did it. So I think from that point of view, it was a good game, a good start to the game anyway. And you think, if, you know, Darren Fells has he's been given a lot of flack for his lack of blocking, but actually he made two blocks on that play, which was kind of a, a sort of half half smoke screen kind of, um, you know, 
wide res- wide receiver screen, whatever you want to call it. But it was a it was it was good to finally see that. I think that was really important for the team at that point when you gave up such an easy touchdown on the first third and f- third down play on defense. Yeah, I mean, I think you know with. With the way the offense is looking uh, since Bill O'Brien, I, th- I think there was a chart, uh, a data chart done um, before, you know, with Bill O'Brien, Deshaun was an average quarterback. And since Bill O'Brien's firing, he's at the top of the NFL as far as a uh, completions, yardage and TDs. Um, you know, Deshaun's definitely humming. He's playing the best ball he's played uh, of his career for sure. Uh, he looks more free, looks more comfortable. Um, he's starting to utilize the weapons around him, uh, which is what you're looking for. Um, you know, Brandon Cooks is getting involved. You know, a lot of people hated that pick um, I, there or that, that trade. I, I actually, I thought it was a really good trade. I think the value, sure. You could have gotten a rookie. You could have gotten uh, you know, what uh, Van Jefferson um, instead of the Rams getting him. But I, I think that worked out when you look at the offense as a whole outside of the running back position um, there's definitely weapons and, you know, he saw, you saw him target, you know, very early and often uh, Jordan Akins. Uh, and you could see Jordan was still getting his legs from, you know, under him and, and things of that nature. So uh, I really like where the offense is going, especially in the passing game. I really think that they're doing a lot of different things. Um, Tim Kelly seems to have a pretty good grasp of, of the passing offense. Um, it's the it's the run game that's the drive killers. And it's going to be interesting to see how that how that goes. Yeah, I, th- I think with with, uh, with with against the Cleveland Browns. But um you know, I think the offense is humming at, at an all-time high in the passing game. And you have to wonder, you know, Duke kind of showed some life in the run game. You know, certain cutbacks and things that we weren't seeing from David Johnson, uh, which is what we're looking for. You know, you want to see more uh, than just getting hit and going down on first contact. And, and Duke showed the ability to be able to do that. Maybe this week we'll be able to see some Scotty Phillips uh, or Buddy Howell either way. Um, but you know, overall the offense looks good. It's, it's the run game that needs to be fixed, but also, you know, you and I both know, if you look at the tape, uh, the running lanes aren't there either. You know, um, a lot of people are pointing out that, that those two cuts by Duke on that eight yard run, he had to make two separate cuts to be able to, um, gain any positive yardage in that play. And, you know, that's not, that's not an efficient run game. And, um, so hopefully, you know, with him and Scotty Phillips or Buddy Howell, there's a, there's a chance that the run game can get back going. But that offensive line is, is is porous when it comes to run blocking. Yeah, I mean the lanes aren't there. I, I struggle to see. Well, I, I see it, but I struggle to understand how bad the how bad the run blocking has got this year, and it's it's beyond me really. I I don't know how how every game pretty much, and you include this game. Who you know, and even the pass blocking took a step back this week. But not to go back to the offensive line too much. But it seems every week, regardless of who we're playing, there seems to be a considerable amount of push up the middle. Every week you watch it now, and it's clear that the push is coming back, back into Watson's lap and our, our running back's lap. And I don't know why that is and why that's regressed so badly. But it just seems. The A and B gaps, we just seem to leak pressure every every week, whether that's in the pass protection of the run or the run game. We just seem to can't quite hold that that game up, and, and it's just it's it's an issue for the team. I think, and you know, you, you saw that sort of lazy kind of you know swing pass to David Johnson gets him knocked out by Miles Jack, who had a hell of a game, but he, he just he had a free run at him there and knocks him out but actually you know you hate to see somebody go down but the rea- the, the clear reality is and I think everybody knew that that we were a better team with Duke in the backfield than Marvin David at the minute because as you said James the guy can cut yeah no I would agree you know a lot of people are, are very critical of me right now uh, regarding my optimism with David and sure a lot of it had to do with just the relationship I have with David but um, it, it's clear, you know, Duke Johnson is a better running back for this offense than David Johnson was. And, uh, you know, David's going to be back. Uh, I, I doubt this week, but still he's going to be back. And, um, you know, you have to wonder if maybe a week of watching and seeing kind of how Duke's running maybe helps him. But, um, you know, this, this, this team should be led by Duke Johnson. Uh, I don't think there's any reason for there to be anybody else. You know, uh, Duke wasn't great. I think he averaged 1.9 yards per carry uh, at one point after about 12 carries. Uh, but it was more of, you know, when you watch him run, you could see the difference between him and David. So it's not going to show up in the stat box. You're not going to look and say, wow, what an amazing game. Uh, but watching the film, you could see uh, that he could anticipate the holes a little bit better, knew when and where to cut. 
didn't go down on first contact um, and just looked like a more dynamic running back. Uh, and, you know, going up against Cleveland, it's going to be interesting to see how Duke is used. And, and we have to hope that, you know, at least one of those other running backs is going to get some carries as well. It was a bit where the camera sort of uh, zoomed into Duke and he just looked like he just, he, his cardio levels weren't up to where it needs to be because I don't think he's used to get as many carries as he as he did. Um, and I don't think it was in the game plan, but I thought Cornell's comments were telling as well because the question was asked, you know, did the game plan have to change much? And he said, well, no, not really, um, which probably says more about the game plan than it does the players. But um, it, it, it felt like a positive. Um, I don't know what to expect from Scotty Phillips. I've only watched these one game he played at NRG. can't remember the, the team he played when he was at Ole Miss, but one cut runner, probably more similar to Carlos Hyde than than, uh, than Duke or David. Um, but he certainly seemed to have a level of, uh, a, a level of, you know, positivity. And I think when you summed it up, if you take out the two play call, you know, the two calls, which were, you know, generous by the ref, particularly when the play clock expired. And I'd love to know when the last time you saw, when you saw a, a call so generous in our favor. But if you take that out and Duke's ability to run forward, and I think the biggest positive was actually Deshaun running with the ball, because I think it actually gives him a lift. I think whether he knows it or not, it feels like when he does that, he feels alive and he feels in the game a bit more than than some of his instincts of that he's been trained not to, or he's been trained not to run. I think by probably too, you know, wrongly. I think in the past, but I think when he starts to move a bit, I think he starts to feel it a bit more, and he uh, some of the long balls, you know, for whatever reason, just just seems to connect and. It, I think it gives him an element whether he realizes it or not. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, you know, it's, this run game is, how do you say it properly? Um, bad uh, and, and at every level. And, you know, I, I think Duke felt, you know, if Duke had any any uh, feeling of, you know, prior to this week of, man, I, I could go out there and do better than David. Uh, he was right. But I also don't think he realized, you know, how many times you're getting hit in the backfield. <laughs> because <laughs> there were multiple runs where Duke was getting tackled before he can even get to the line of scrimmage. I mean, he, he'd get hit when he's hand, getting the ball handed off to him. And th that's not an effective run game. And, you know, both of these runners aren't in between tacklers uh, type of running backs. They're outside zone, you know, um, misdirections, things of that nature. And yet here we are running them through the A and B gap. So um, you have to look and see, you know, as far as, you know, what this team wants to do, but, I would just abandon the run. <laughs> yeah, I think so because I think I think people people have talked about it a lot more, and I think only because the prevalence of the passing game has has risen throughout the league, and you know teams are passing more, and you you're seeing that with yards. I think you know, I saw that Patrick Mahomes has already thrown over a hundred touchdowns in his career already, and you know you see some of the misdirection and things they do, but I think we're. I would love to see us get back to some more of the creative concepts that we've used in the past. I think sometimes when you, because when you see creative plays from us, it's noticeable when you're like, oh, okay, right, I see the work to map this week. And the rest is all similar concepts, different personnel at times, similar formations, trying to disguise looks, but it's all kind of the same stuff there and there. And then they ran that Yankee concept, which was got chewed up so blatantly, but actually they ran sort of a similar type of play, but with the three receivers routes and that was almost the killer it just actually Zach Fulton just just got in Watson's lap and uh, made him have to release it and that would have killed the game just after they stopped that uh, third and one and fourth and one which was a bit of a marvel to see I didn't expect to see that um and actually Justin Reed had a good game came in and blocked that blocked that guy on the up right on the line um on the fourth down call but I, I it feels like you know Watson kind of stepped forward and and gave us a run game and I think that that benefits, and then it it keeps linebackers on the heels, and it's going to open more gaps, and for the you know for the running backs, tailbacks, and um when when they do actually get the ball, but it, it yeah it feels like at times we need to just get away from trying to run that inside zone first and second down, and just keep throwing it until they stop us, you know, and then actually if you need to run it, that's towards the end of the game because you're trying to kill clock because you've got a lead, but until you get a lead, I don't think this team can afford to sit back and. And, and hope just to gradually grind the game out because they've just not got the run defense or the run offense to do that and be balanced. So I think you just keep going for it until uh, and, until somebody stops you. And then, you you know, 
allow the game flow to make you more conservative rather than just being naturally that. But I think that that's a big point that you touched on earlier. His, his numbers have gone up and you know we're in this really strange position where he's playing so well or playing some of his best football, but we're not all that a great a team because all the decisions around them. But I think you just keep putting it in his hands and keep and keep making good things happen. And, you know, and even if you know it's an obvious rundown, but all all the all these running plays are just dump offs to the running backs, which is why we've un- still I I still feel feel for David Johnson in a sense. I don't think he'll be back this weekend, but you know if it's an extension of the running game, it's just dump offs to the running backs for three or four yards because that's more than we're getting by running them running them into the backside of the center of the guard at the minute. Um, but it was better with, with Duke Johnson certainly. Scotty Phillips comes in, might get it. I don't know if there's anybody else on the on the waiver wire or somebody's practice squad they can bring in because. Other teams show it all around the league. And the biggest thing with Brian Eder, who just continually continued to under-evaluate or wrongly evaluate running back talent. And when we did bring in talent, we used them completely wrongly. So I think if there's any position in this entire franchise that's going to benefit from a new coaching staff, it's going to be running back and probably won't be one that's in the building right now. Probably be our tailback, our sort of leading tailback for next year. Yep. I, I, no, I would agree 100%. I think... Um... Really, this this coaching said when you just look at the at the offense and and just the team as a whole, the running back has been a problem for the last two three years. You know, I know Carlos Hyde had a good year last year, but outside of that, you know, it's really was an anomaly um, since you know Bill O'Brien took over. We really haven't had a, a good rushing attack. Um, you know, we signed Lamar Miller, never really got him going. Um, so I, yeah, it has to be a focus. Um, but like you said, abandon it now. You know, sure use it when you can, but let's set up the run by setting up the pass now. I mean, let's set up the run by using the pass uh, to set it up. You know, we're, we're shredding people left and right. We have the talent and personnel to be able to, um, you know, people get open almost every snap. Randall Cobb seems to be open every play almost. And um, he's probably the biggest surprise to me based on the free agent additions that we had this year. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree. You know, this coach is going to have to come in and, 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 and have an understanding of how to utilize a running back properly or at least understand how to utilize the running back that he has properly. Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things I think we need to do as an offense beside the running game to try and balance out, you know, the the defense, which I think will probably get worse as the year goes on as people get more banged up. But we seem to just keep missing these quick slants. There was one we were backed up on our own, uh, in, in our own five, and uh, Watson missed Cooks on a quick slant. It happened in the Green Bay game. It's happened quite regularly. These quick plays, RPO type of looks, um, and you know the ball hits the turf, and you know we end up, you know, being three and out. So we just need to make sure these short, sharp passes we get, you know, we we make them the bread and butter of the offense. And again, it's a replacement of the run game because we can't afford sometimes to 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 uh, to, to put ourselves in obvious passing positions, you know, in second and third and down, second and long and third and long, because then I think that's when you know you give a defense advantage. So we need to improve that. And I think the red zone efficiency is still not quite there. I think we saw that a couple of times. And you, know, you mentioned Jordan Aitkins was one just slightly high from, but I think on another day he probably catches it if he. If he hasn't missed time and that pushed us back, then we set up for a field goal again later in the game. So I think we, we need to, you know, we need to be more efficient in the red zone. But I think not having David Johnson, you know, not able to make a yard, which we saw, you know, in the Minnesota game, we saw in the Green Bay game, you know, with having a bit more of a threat, you know, in the backfield, then I think that'll, uh, in terms of, you know, not being able to run it in from close distance, if we could just, you know, settle for less threes, and put up sixes. I think that's going to be a big, a big difference for us as well because we've still not quite worked those kinks out in the offense. Even though the explosive plays are good, and I think, but if you take those explosive plays out, or you take that, you know, that long pass interference to Fuller, which Henderson just kind of let his arm extended, so it was a clear one. Even though probably didn't do too much to knock him to the ground, but if you take those plays out, um, it's uh, you know we probably didn't generate enough consistent offense in the short intermediate passing game. Again, it comes back to the coaching staff and all his decisions. But actually, we've had injuries and it's actually probably going to help us in the next couple of weeks. If you think Kelamenti going out, okay, I don't expect Brent Cavill to play, but it, I expect Mike Sharpen to come in and just be given the games. I don't care if he's terrible or he's not quite, you know, up to the level he was, but he's got he's going to be better than, than uh, Kelamenti was, you know, in these his, his final two games uh, prior to the bye week because he wasn't good. You think then Scarlett going out, you know, he's a good special teams guy, but it looks like he's fractured his forearm, he's on the IR, so... You know, sign Nate Orchard, but even a guy like that who's bounced around, you know, plenty of uh, 
plenty of uh, defences after being a second-round pick. You know, even a guy like that, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in and actually his contribution from day one is admirable because you know we've we've had players that we've stuck with, um, and they've just and they're, and they're just not really that good. <laughs> I think it's just the it is the reality of it, and no more personified than Brennan Scarlett. Nothing wrong with you know good leader off the field, good special teams guy, guy in the locker room, but he's not a guy that's consistently set the edge down and down out. You know, and you, as you said, you saw it with Keon Crossing coming in and it looks like potentially uh, Charles Amenehu has is, uh, is, is, uh, got an injury, a lower leg injury as well. I saw Tack McKinley was, uh, and I saw Jordan was kind of floating that idea. What would you think about Tack McKinley coming in? I didn't think he was that great when, we, when I saw him in last year uh, live, but, um, you know, he's a first-round caliber talent. Worth a go, I think. Any sort of defensive talent we can add, I think, is probably got to be looked at at this stage. You think? Yeah, no, I I would agree hundred percent. So yeah, I think so. So yeah, I think so. We've got injuries that have that definitely helped us, and we'll see. Um, but can you remember a time just before we move move on to the, the upcoming? Can you remember a time when we ever got a, a decision as good as or as favourable as the one where? Probably three, three and a half seconds after the play clock runs dead, and we, we snap the ball and score a touchdown. I think it's the first time we've ever had something break our way, if I'm being 100% honest. I can't remember the last time we've had a play uh, work for us the way that we needed it to. Um, you know, and that's just a funny one, too, like if you think about it. Uh, and the fact it's not reviewable is even funnier because it's like that should definitely be a reviewable play. Did they get the ball off before the snap? But yeah. and it costs seven points, which ended up being the game changer, right? Um, but you know, oh well, <laughs> we'll take it out. We can get it. Yeah, I, I genuinely, I was I was looking before the show and trying to think and racking my brain. I I could not tell you the last time we got a play that swung the game. So you know, so much in our favor. I think, and you know, and I think again, it comes back to the office being consistent. You know, we had the ball twice before we nailed it out in the fourth quarter after we scored that, and we didn't put any more points up. Um, and you know that that was predominantly down to pass protection. You know, Gillespie comes in, we've got two two backs set, doesn't pick up the the blitzer from safety, and then then the next one, I think it's just a just a bit of a mess, and it's uh, after trying to go go for the jugular instead of just taking your time down the field at that stage, leave a bit of time on the clock, and you know miss the two point conversion. And Jacksonville have got a good way of giving us a favourable record um, in this division and and for this season, I think because you know we've we've not really played teams as prison, but I think you've got to keep it in perspective. It was a narrow victory against a team who's effectively you know on the edge of tanking with a few good players, so. Rusty coming out the bye, which I don't think there's an excuse for, but it's something to build on as we go to Cleveland. So, a team who's predominantly a running team, and we've struggled with those. I, I don't know where that, you know, but I think they definitely didn't look great pre buy. What do you think Cleveland poses a threat in terms of a run heavy offense? Yeah, I mean, if you shut down the run for Cleveland, uh, you're forcing Baker Mayfield to sit back there and pick your defense apart. Now, if there's any defense, that Baker Mayfield can pick apart, I would have to say it's likely to be the Houston Texans defense in 2020. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just don't buy the Browns. I, I just don't. Um, you know, I know they thought, you know, the national media thought they made a great hire in Kevin Stefanski. And, uh, you know, we, we saw it early on in the, in the season. It looked like it could have worked out. But then the Browns did the Browns things. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder if this, we've given them enough time to really kind of clean out the culture and uh, do what they need to do to be better. Uh, I, I, you know, the Texans are favored by three points this week. Um, I would expect the Texans to beat the Browns. I, I really don't think the Browns are very good. You know, no OBJ. Um, uh, Nick Chubb is practicing for the first time today. Uh, and Cream Hunt isn't as good as Nick Chubb. You know, Cream Hunt is very good. He's a good running back, but uh, he's not Nick Chubb. And their defense isn't very good either. So, you know, our, our, our wide receivers should feast off of their secondary just as much as their wide receivers should feast off of ours. I think it'll be a high-scoring game, uh, you know, just because our defense is so bad. It's going to make the Baker believers believe in Baker again. Um, but I, 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 think this, I think the Texans can beat the Browns. I, I don't think the Browns are this formidable opponent that people should be scared of. Uh, the only thing that they should be scared of is the rushing game. And um, you have to wonder if maybe, 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 you know, we, we did okay against the run this last week. Uh, we didn't do great, but we did okay based on what we've seen in, in weeks past. 
you know, maybe they can carry that on and, and uh, you know, get a little bit better. Yeah, and you, I mean, if you look and at who the knows if Baker plays, if big if Baker doesn't play and Case plays, well, then you know it's a whole new game because Case is one of those quarterbacks that in a in a pinch, if you need a starter to come in and rip it, Case is going to be the guy to do it for one game. Yeah, I was actually going to just I said that in my notes. If I was to offer you the opportunity now, if Baker starts or Case Keenum starts, I think I would definitely take Baker Mayfield 10, 10 out of ten. Yeah, I, I think Baker's probably going to start. You know, it all depends on, you know, this case of COVID that he has. You know, it's probably a little bit different than some of the cases of COVID that other people have had. Um, you know, I've got a lot of information about how he received uh, that coronavirus. And, uh, you know, it's not looking like it's it, it's a good scenario for him. Well, yeah, I, I thought it said that it was a contract t- tracing similar to what Marcellus and Cole had this week. So therefore, he's, he's not as out as long as Jacob Martin's out. So I think Jacob Martin missed this game because he's a direct case, whereas... They hold out these guys because they have to have five days of negative testing, I believe. So therefore, Baker uh, Baker probably will play. But I think the point was actually James had just done that. It was, as you said, I think Case Keenum can come in and, and he's got you know you saw what he did with Stefanski in Minnesota and he was pretty good. So and he's one of those guys that can come in as you said for a pinch hit you on play action and you know that offense is all around that. So actually, I think you know the 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 mental aspect to Baker. Um, is, is one that I think is probably favourable at the Texans because you never know when he's going to have the bad week. Because if you watch his game against the Steelers, if you watch his game against the Raiders, albeit it's pretty tough conditions, um, and the Ravens as well. You know, they put up seven points as a grand total or the highest total in each of those games. So when he loses loses the plot, then uh, it goes south for them. And I think people say it's good Baker, bad Baker. I mean, it's almost like a... Have you seen, I don't know if you've seen the graph about or the, or the, or the cycle that he goes through if people doubt him comes back, plays well, then collapses again. So I think if you look at where we are in the cycle, I suppose that's uh, that's um, it, we're due a performance from him. But I, I think he's, uh, as you said, off the field. I don't know if um, where he's been. Uh, he's been rumoured to hang about uh, the back of Cheesecake Factories. He's been uh, doing whatever he wants to do. So however however much that is uh, going to affect his, affect his preparation time this week if he's been isolating. For five days till he gets clear tested, and then I, I don't know how much that affects him. But I would love to see Duke Johnson score after uh, what he had to say about him before before he got traded to the Texans, because that was just another example of uh, the man that is Baker. I think. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Baker, you know, caught caught a case of the COVID this week, uh, returning back to the Cheesecake Factory dumpsters and finding his favorite young lady. Um, you know. Have you ever I, seen I, anything I, ridiculous as ridiculous as that? <laughs> All the time you've been watching the NFL. Never. I know there's lots, there's lots of people that come out and, uh, and 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 want stories. You know, there was the one about Beckham and meeting people on planes, telling not to wash and whatnot before he got there. But I mean, I don't, have you ever heard anything ridiculous? And and not only for that, but for that video was just so incredulous. The fact that people just kept creeping out the woodwork on that show live on air. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I mean, there has to be some truth to it, right? Oh, there's got to uh, be, yeah. Exactly. There's a ton of truth to it. And so that's the funniest part about this is usually you'll hear these stories and they're completely false, right? You hear these crazy stories and and they're false. They're just somebody trying to get some, some fame and some attention. But with Baker, it's a legit story. And that's the part to me that is just so mind-blowing is that this guy who is an NFL starting quarterback who went to Oklahoma um, is meeting random girls at a cheesecake factory for a specific uh, oral fixation that he has. And um, I find it crazy that this story was not a story in the offseason. I can't believe the fact that it wasn't talked about the way that it would have been talked about had it have been Deshaun Watson or Cam Newton or anything of that nature. Uh, it was it was Baker Mayfield, so they just kind of swept it under the rug. And I find that to be a bit crazy, but I've never heard any story like this. This is just nuts to me, and it's just kind of gone to the wayside, which is just even more telling. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, if it's to do with the, the culture in that part of the world. You know, you hear all these stories about you know, things that went on and it got brushed under the carpet. And it was because, well, you know, everybody knew it was going on, but they didn't, you know, they didn't say anything or make a deal out of it at the time. And you're right, I think you put a different lens on it, a different name or a different background of a of an NFL player. I think that gets a bit more headlines than it, it probably got. I suppose it's such a, until you can prove it, it's, it's, uh, 
is what it is. But I've just never seen a story like that where it just it all came on a live show. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't the best quality radio or what have you, but um, it wasn't ESPN, you know, running the story as their as their lead lead story that day. But I, I, it's he is a he's a strange character. I think that there, there's guys when you play against them, and I think Taylor Lewan falls in that category that you just like you would just love to beat and i think he's one of them i just think he's the least likable probably quarterback in the nfl you know he's a guy who carries himself in a certain way but at the end of the day he's sitting at 61 and a half percentage completion rate at this rate he's not where he thinks he is mentally and it'd be nothing better to go out and uh and try and get him you know get halfway back to 500 if you can get a win in cleveland yeah i i think you know i, I wouldn't be surprised if baker mayfield within two you know two years is not the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. I, I, I've never seen anything from Baker that makes me think that he is a, I honestly, and you know, maybe it's cause I just don't like him, but I, I just, I put him on the level of Kirk cousins, you know, one week, good Baker, yeah. one week, bad Baker, one week, good Baker, one week, bad Baker. The interceptions are always just these awful interceptions that a normal quarterback isn't going to throw. Um, and they never seem to get any better. Uh, so, um, I, I'm just not a big fan of his his play on the field, and you can't blame it on the weapons. They fixed the offensive line. He has a ton of weapons around him, uh, he, and he just doesn't know how to use them properly. He, he's he's a he's a half field. He's a he's a half field quarterback. Um, he doesn't have the vision to go through his progressions in the way that you would like your quarterback to be able to do so, and um, he's just not a good quarterback. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, because you've got, I mean, a guy like Wyatt Teller, right, who John Dorsey, I think, traded a fifth and a sixth round for out of Buffalo. And, you know, by all, you know, you guy like Brandon Thorne calling him out, you know, the, the metrics suggest he's, you know, being one of the top sort of three or four guards in the league, you know, and a guy who's really, you know, really, you know, puts him excellent, particularly in the run blocking game. And he looks like he potentially going to be back from a calf injury. So I think all Baker aside, I think probably the biggest concern, and I don't think there's anything we can really do about it as a unit, is that, you know, Nick Chubb or no Nick Chubb, but even if it's just Kareem Hunt, can this team just run on us to the point where actually it doesn't really matter who's a quarterback and they might only throw the ball 21 times and they just they just keep keep the ball on the ground and, and control the clock and against teams that have done that as the season have just looked helpless. Yeah, and, and when you look at this defense, you, you have to say to yourself that they're, you know, that's that should be the approach for every team playing this playing the Texans. You know, they can't they can't stop the run um, no matter how hard they try. You know, they all say it's fundamentals. And yet it seems as if they're not even getting taught the fundamentals. You know, it's pr- pretty much discipline and gap assignments um, and they're they're not able to stick to it. You know, you have to wonder how much of the um, the freelancing done by J.J. is uh, you know also playing a part. But, um, yeah, I mean. But at the same time, you know that the Texans will stop them a couple times, no matter how bad their defense is. And you have to hope that the Texans' offense is just humming at an all-time you know high, and that they can, you know, get the most out of uh, their offense to be able to compete with them. And I think they can. You know, Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield is. You know, even though some people like to debate that. Um, and you know, I think ultimately Deshaun will be the reason we win. And I, I don't really have any concerns because I do think the Browns are the Browns, no matter what their record is. Does a sort of Tennessee level of offensive performance get it done, do you think? I think that, yeah. I, I expect that's kind of the baseline. That's kind of what I, I expect to see. Um, I, I would think that there's a good chance that that's the type of offense we see against a very bad, struggling Browns defense. And um, I think that that would get it done for sure. Yeah, because I think if you look at their linebackers, I don't think there's anybody there that scares you. I think they can be attacked in the passing game. Denzel Ward's a good, a good, uh, a good corner. I don't think that, but you, you know, they've lost Greedy Williams, been put on IR, got a shoulder injury in preseason, and and you know they've, you know, there's Terrence Mitchell's out there is probably the next, the next guy up. So it's it's there to be attacked, I think, and it's it's probably the the question that'll be on is every week, and if I think the sort of situation we find ourselves in, you feel like every kind of game preview or any or any game questions are, are kind of the same, but I, I don't think it will change between now and the season is can this offense go out and attack and make big plays against guys who aren't up to the same standard corner versus our receivers? And can we just do something on defense? And I don't I don't think I think that sense could be applied to every single one of these 
final games throughout the end of the season. Yeah, and I also think that you know with the, the turnovers they come over and they come in bunches. You know, yeah. and we had one last week uh, or two last week. Um, so you have you have to think that there's a good chance that you know, especially playing Baker Mayfield, you're going to have a couple interceptions no matter how good your corners are. He he's going to overthrow some, he's going to underthrow some. Uh, that's pretty much what he does. And so you know, there's going to be opportunities for us to get you know short yardage on offense, and, and Deshaun's going to capitalize hopefully. And um, you know, this team should be fine. Um, I, I really have zero concerns about this team. It's it's really the Colts the rest of the year that, that concern me. Uh, outside of that, there's really nobody else on the schedule to fear. Yeah, and I think that, that's the thing. This was meant to be the bit that, you know, could you hold it together, get to 500 at the bye, and then, you know, grow into the year. The answer, the first part of the answer was no. Um, second part of the year may well be that. Do you, do you, what do you think is best case scenario for this team as they go through the rest of the schedule for 2020? You know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about it. And, you know, the Colts at times have looked like a really superior team. And then they have weeks like they had last week where Phillip Rivers looks like the Phillip Rivers you you, you saw last year. Um, you know, I I think this team could potentially get to 7-9, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Is that enough to get into the playoffs with this new, you know, if they add another team in the AFC, maybe, I don't know. But I, I do think that we win, you know, at least – you know, four or five more games. Um, and that's really should be the expectation. You know, I think it's hard for fans to understand that this is an interim head coaching staff or coaching staff. These coaches aren't going to be here next year. Um, so the expectation should drop quite a bit. And it, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around because you see the talent at quarterback and you assume that you should be a, um, you know, a contender. And, um, and and we should be, but right now it's, it's more about, let's see the young guys play more. You know, that's really for me, what I'm looking for. I want to see John Reed. I want to see Jonathan Grenard. I want to see Ross Blacklock dominate most of the snaps. It's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted JJ Watt traded was so I could see more of Ross. Um, and, uh, you know, we just have to look and hope that, you know, we can build, you know, off of some of the players that, you know, showed some, show some signs of positivity entering the 2021 season. But uh, anything over eight and eight is, I think, is 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 almost impossible. And do you have a guy for head coach? And uh, do you think we'll get? I do two, two third round draft picks for them, <laughs> as I saw the news. Ah. <laughs> um, I, I think Joe Brady is the guy for me. Yeah, um, not too. When young. I look and see what he he's young, he's young. He's 31, 32 now. Um, you know, but he has NFL experience prior to being at LSU. Uh, he was at he was with the New Orleans Saints. Um, during the years that they had the best offenses in the league, um, you know what he did at LSU with with uh, with uh, Joe Burrow was impressive as can be. And then when you look and see what he's doing uh, in Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater, who in my opinion is just an average quarterback. I don't I don't think he's a world beater. I don't think he's a top five, top ten quarterback. Uh, and then you look at the weapons around him; he doesn't really have a lot of them. Christian, Christian McCaffrey's been hurt. Now he's hurt again. Um, you know, I think that um, I think Joe Brady's really done a lot with a little bit, and I like him over Eric Bieniemy because it's his offense. It's he's instilling his game plan. Uh, he's in full control, uh, and uh, I, I'm looking for a younger guy that can come in and evolve with the NFL. Uh, you know, put his his stamp on you know himself as a head coach instead of carrying over from a tree, or whether it be Andy Reid or Bill Belichick, or you know now the Sean McVay tree has started and things of that nature. Um, I really like to see Joe Brady. Uh, I, he reminds me of a little Kyle Shanahan when he was with the Texans. You know, a lot of people talked about him, uh, but said he was too young for a head coaching position. You know, if you go back four or five years now, I guarantee you that teams would have hired Kyle Shanahan at that time, knowing what we know now. And I think Joe Brady's in a very similar situation. Um, I think it's a risk, but I think it's a risk that could pay off and could really set this franchise up for success for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, well, Shannon was 31 when he left Houston, or turning 31. Um, yeah. He went to join his, join his father at the Redskins, and, or I'm sorry, the Washington football team. And, uh, and yeah, I suppose you're, you're right. I think if you if you watch the performance against the Chiefs, who are a team who are considered to be tanking, they get McCaffrey back, and it, it was a one-score game, you know? So um, there wasn't much in it, you know, against a team that, you know, most people would probably part with some money to say they'll go back to the Super Bowl and probably win it again. So it's, um, yeah, it's a good show. It's a good show. I think it's um, it's so tough to know, right? And I think it's going to all hinge on the, the GM search. And I just hope we get it right because uh, I think seasons like this just aren't as uh, 
it's fun, you know, when you're talking about playoff wins and and all that kind of, all you know, or you know, playoff races and seed races and all that kind of stuff. That you know, it's just it takes about the edge yep. out for a fan, I think, and it's uh, it's probably feels longer season than it than it would have otherwise when it's when you're when you can't wait for the next Sunday to roll around. Where these days you can Sunday Sunday can probably take its time to come because it's not it doesn't quite mean the same when you're not in contention. But uh, it's been uh, it's been good talking with you, James. Thanks very much for your time again and. Uh, We'll definitely, hopefully, uh, catch up with you again. Hopefully, we're looking a bit better in a positive shape as this uh, season unfurls a bit, hopefully, a bit smoother than it did in the first half. Yep, no, I agree. I appreciate you having me on. I love what you're doing. And, um, yep, reach out whenever you need me. 